millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. the slaughter podcast will be discussing topics that some listeners may find disturbing if you're still listening i don't feel guilty for anything hi i'm lucy hi i'm emma and together um can we not say that what and together we're is that not our thing (laughs) we've never done that and together we're the slaughter podcast (laughs) um right uh, i'm gonna get straight into it because i'm excited to tell you this story i wanted to chat Oh well, I've got like. Do you ever drive to work and pretend like you're auditioning for a musical and just practice the same song over and over again until you get the emotion just right? I have done that. I did that today. I got the job. (laughs) Um. So this one is about Britain's youngest female murderer, and uh, I got quite a lot of this information from uh, a documentary on YouTube with the same name, which was presented by Joe Frost who is super nanny. What? I know. <laughs> Do you know what? I was saying at work the other day, real talk, most of my behavior management strategies come from super nanny. Have you got a naughty step in your school? Not a naughty step. Like I don't need the naughty like step, but like a lot of the stuff is like, I lower my tone of voice, get down onto their level. I'll tell you, this is what's happened. This is why I know. So this is the consequence. And then when it's over, I'll be like, so you missed your break because you were doing this. What do we need to do about it now? Yeah, fair enough. I'm not going to write a book and or anything, but I'm just saying she's not wrong. <laughs> yeah, you can't just pinch her ideas and say, works in the classroom too, by Emma. Um, just put a new <laughs> dust cover on the book and stick it in bookshops. But um, we've been doing some, uh, so they've got to do a debate in psychology about whether or not um, it's right or wrong to condition children. And um, I do condition the children. <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, I had to watch the same clip of Super Nanny and every time I was like, that's another year I don't want to have children for because this girl was so vile. Oh, and <laughs> I remember I said to the kids, right, so what can we do about this uh, this child? And one of them went, adoption. <laughs> I was like, fuck, that's Still dark. Right, so this is the story of Sharon Carr. Now, she was born in 1979, 21st of December in Belize, um, and she was born into a house that had a lot of poverty um, and a mother with a harsh temper and she was quite callous and her father was a drunk. Now, her father and mother didn't stay together, but during her childhood, her mother would inflict quite harsh abusive punishments on her so one of them that was stated in um, some of the articles that I looked at was that she'd put pepper on her genitals 
as a punishment for her being bad, which is one, really painful, but two, like really inappropriate as well. Just really That's so weird. sick. Yeah. Like I'm going to make your vagina hurt. Yeah, that's really great. Like what? Like what? You know when they say punishment fits the crime? What? P- yeah, crime is the crime? Like, oh, you spilt your food. Pepper vagina. That's yeah. the word. Oh, God. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. So this is ab- abuse. That's torture, isn't it? That's just yeah. like properly sadistic. Very dysfunctional um, family. So Sharon's mother met a British man who was a member of the Royal Armed Medical Corps. And he was in Belize. And uh, he was called George Carr. So Sharon's birth name wasn't Carr. So this is her later name and they started a relationship and Sharon and her mother moved with George back to the UK when he relocated back to there so they located themselves in Camberley in Surrey and they got her uh, George and her mother Molly got married now her life seemed quite settled at first but sort of based on early school reports that I think they put some nice things in and that's kind of what was picked up in the media and in this documentary they said they were just like Oh, she English is her second language. She smiles a lot. Great. <laughs> yeah. uh, so they said that she um, was a positive student and she she played basketball well. That means she's really quiet and they don't know much about her personality, which is why they've <laughs> said positive. And plays basketball well means she was dumb. Yeah. Well, that's what I took to mean when I was only year five. Possibly fat, I'd also yeah. say. I was just Sometime- year five and they put she's an excellent swimmer and I was like, I must be really fucking stupid. <laughs> yeah. But it's either that or they don't have a fucking clue who she is. Like, yeah. She's so quiet that they just are like, oh God, what can I say? Like she played basketball once. Yeah. That's it um so she got a bit as she got a bit older she became more violent more aggressive in school so she started to get into more trouble and she began to smoke cannabis when she was just 11 years old (gasps) so really dysfunctional really like not under control where would you even get it from at 11 years old um so her mother and stepfather's marriage begin to grow quite strained um and george moved out and he he sort of had one last visit where he was coming to the house just to say look it's over let's just end it let's just call it a day and when he did uh Sharon's mother Molly confronted him really aggressively now we know that she's pretty like aggressive anyway but she grabbed a a pot of boiling fat and she threw it over George and like got him on the head the arms and the chest I mean that's or yeah. like massive shades she's of fucked like up. She's like a Gordon Ramsay blooper reel. She's <laughs> yeah. like all the fits that they won't show, throwing pepper, fat, everything. But he said that the weirdest thing. Oh. I mean, I what was she making for dinner? I, well, I thought that I was like, was she would she have it ready? Is this premeditated? Um, but he said that um, Sharon saw this and she did not bat an eyelid. She stoned out of her fucking face. Well, she's just glad she wasn't douching her with it. <laughs> oh God! Oh, so. He yeah he just said that, like she didn't react. Obviously, this was pretty commonplace, um, for her. So I mean I don't know about the boiling fat, but she she'd obviously seen a lot of violence already. Um. So yeah. So yeah. So I mean we feel sympathy for her at this point, don't we? we do. Really? So she's not. So we don't think she's like a psychopath sort of personality. She's genuinely damaged. Mm. Well, that's like, why I've been bringing it up in terms of uh at school uh, uh because I've been talking about how. Um, we've been looking at is crime biological or not and for this case she's I mean she's probably inherited some something from her mother 
Um, she's also had dysfunction and she does the crime at a really young age. So it's hard to say which, but it... if she committed a crime now, like while this is happening at home, if she if she committed a crime at this point, I would not fully blame her for it. One of my kids is having a really tough time at home and then so they get in a fight with someone. I don't, I understand, I don't blame this them This is a year massively. before she commits her first crime. Oh, well, she's over it then. Yeah. You just saw your stepdad <laughs> flayed and burned. So, yeah, so Molly's, uh, Sharon's mum is given a suspended sentence for the, atta- the attack on George. That 11-year-old, they'll have been like, her dad's left gone to hospital like she'll be coming to school like my dad's in hospital do i visit him i can't see him her mom's having to go to court who's looking after her she doesn't have family over there that whole there's so much for a child when parents are going through that it's not just there was this one event that's the whole unsettling months then surrounding it exactly and her mom had to go to counseling for three years following the attack which i think is fair enough you've just thrown fat on someone but her mum was also really into voodoo and black hearts so she was also teaching sharon about these beliefs that she had about i don't know i don't really know much about voodoo and that's where you have a voodoo doll and you can inflict pain on others it seems pretty Mm. seems like a pretty aggressive religion if i'm honest (laughs) because i've never heard anyone talk positively about voodoo like church yes religion yes but never had someone be like i'm really into voodoo or yeah. I'm just going to my voodoo club. Like, I don't feel like we'd run that at school <laughs> as a lunch club. They wouldn't be allowed in the intersectional prayer room. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so Sharon um, was briefly put into foster care, but she uh, she was returned to her mother pretty quickly uh, within about a month. Now, she began harming animals at this point oh, so see, that's the psychopath sign though ramping up so she'd take people's pets on the estate that she lived at um one one neighbor's dog was found decapitated they didn't initially <gasps> that's know not just it like was poking her, but, it with a stick oh my god and she had a friend who said that she fried live hamsters oh, and you've got a hamster but also, she'd probably jump on the fucking frying pan herself. She's mental. <laughs> what, your hamster? Yeah, she's crazy. Um, so so if- you're supposed to have them in a ball for 15 minutes. She clings to that ball. She's like, ball is life. And when she wants to be in there for hours. <laughs> Why 15 minutes? They get hungry. They say that they get like, they can get sweaty and dehydrated and like they've not got stuff in there. So I keep trying to get around. She's just like, puts her feet on the side like, no, don't take me out. Um, but also, I mean, the, Shannon, uh, Shannon, Sharon is 11 years old at this point, uh, just turning 12, and she had a, a real reputation. People did not want to fuck with her on that estate that she lived on. They were just like, Sharon's come in, get inside. Um, she'd carry weapons around in her school bag. I mean, she's fucking up these animals. Uh, and I think people were too scared to confront her. So she's pretty nasty at this young age. So she commits her first murder of a human aged 12 whoa i know because before we talked about um james fairweather mm. i thought he was the youngest he was the youngest of he, all but wasn't he 15 oh, yeah. or something but he was he the youngest serial killer yeah mm. whereas she's the youngest female murderer oh okay so 
Katie Ratcliffe uh, was an 18-year-old who lived in a, ne- a nearby area of Surrey, and she was just starting a career as a hairdresser. Uh, she was pretty friendly. She was liked by people in the area. She'd been dating a guy from school for a while, but they'd split up quite recently. She was newly single. She'd gone out to a club called Ragamuffin in Camberley. Or is it Camberley? Camberley? Camberley, I'm going to go with. And she'd been there loads of times before, um... And that's kind of a local club, I guess. Now, she stayed at the club till closing time, as you do when you're 18. I can't remember the last time I saw closing time, actually, yeah, at the club. when you used to wait till the lights came on. Oh, I, I used to hate it because I'd, so, I'd get bored about half 12. Yep. And you've still got an hour and a half of everyone else being like, yeah, this is great. And I was like, uh. and the club drinks are so expensive and not very nice. So I'd be God. done. I'd, oh, those were miserable times, that last hour and a half. I'm like, we're staying until we're pulled. We're staying until we're pulled. <laughs> um, so, uh, she... You need a place to sleep. <laughs> I've never had to shag for my dinner. What is it? I watched it. <laughs> is that a phrase? <laughs> no, I don't think so. But like, I did watch... Um, Something about it was like Magaloo for one of those places, and she was like, I've literally got nowhere to sleep tonight. I've got a pull. I was like, Oh, God, that's awful. That is really sad. That was my daughter. I'd be like, Get your ass home. She left the club and she got into a car to head home. Now, we don't know if she hitchhiked, we don't know who was driving the car. All we know that it's likely that it was one or two men and Sharon Carr but those men have never been caught. Um, So um, Katie's body is found three miles away from where she left the club in Farnborough uh, about five hours after she was uh, like closing time at the club. She's half naked and she'd been stabbed 27 times and her genitals had been mutilated, which is a really... Classic Sharon. (laughs) <laughs> that is right in her wheelhouse. Well, she I mean she'd obviously had stuff done to her, but that's that's usually like a sexual assault from an older man. So that's who they started looking for. They were looking for Yeah, true. Man You'd never think 30s. it was a young girl. You'd be like, this is definitely the work of a twelve year old girl. But that's the thing she knows as like the worst punishment. That's like possibly one of the worst things she can think of. Maybe. Like. Yeah, I mean it's it's sort of explainable, but it's just really sad. Um so they start looking for an adult male. They release sort of like photo fits of who it could be, which I thought was a bit of a, a leap considering. But there's men with her on. though, so they could have still done it. They could have been, but the only reason that why the police thought there must have been men with her is because uh, Sharon is a 12-year-old girl and the body was dragged out of the car somehow. So there must have been someone who'd removed her. And, and I don't she think can't I'd, drive. Yeah, I wouldn't get in a car with a 12-year-old Uber driver. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Sharon is free she, no one's looking for her at this point no one can connect her to the murder and she keeps a diary after the murder Sharon does yeah Oh so God. in it she's she's writing in it every day I what mean what a fucking nerd well I've looked at bits of it online and it kind of is like a 12 year old's diary I mean my diaries were such 
crap. I suppose this is quite older, isn't it? Like what sort of years are we Now in? you'd have a blog in the 90s or something. Yeah. So yeah, you'd have a diary. Yeah. How else would you get out your angst? <laughs> exactly. So it was sort of a bit normal teenager, but then there's also stuff about killing and poetry about killing Katie and how killing is her business and she's really good at it, which without the context would be just a stupid thing a 12-year-old might write. Killing's my business and I'm really good at it right no one cares about poetry when we're trying to teach it but it's the yeah. first thing they go to when they <laughs> want to get their feelings out exactly. all of a sudden it's like the voice of the generation yeah uh, there were like knives and other doodles as well that had drawn all over this diary but again at this point no one knows about it it's just in her bedroom hidden away June 7th, 1994, so exactly two years after Katie's death Sharon is still free and she um, plans to kill again. And she does kill on that exact... Well, she doesn't kill, but she makes an attack on that exact date, which is definitely not coincidence. I wonder why she went off it for two years. Well, I think um, she was writing poetry. Yeah, it was really <laughs> consuming. Yeah, which kind of satiated her for a while. And then she thought, mm, I'm running out of material here. So she'd taken a knife to school... And she told fellow schoolmate Anne-Marie Clifford to come and help her find a pound that she had dropped in the toilets. Um, and Anne-Marie was shit scared of Sharon. So I'm going to say, like, that, it doesn't matter what she'd have said. Yeah. She could have said absolutely anything and they'd have been Just too scared to go it, in. Because yeah. I doubt she wanted to look for a pound in the shitty toilets. Yeah, so she just went with her because she was too scared. So Sharon stabbed her in the lungs. <gasps> At school. At school. Imagine being a teacher. This is what I kept imagining. Like, some kids coming to me and being like, someone stabbed someone in the toilet. I'd be like, fuck. God. And then, like, what do you do? Like, you just take them to the office and then, I guess, phone the police. And then you, you're trying to do... Stem the bleeding. stay <laughs> Shit. So, uh, four or five of the students are literally just walking into the toilet just after she'd stabbed her. And a lot of people have said that um, Anne-Marie would have died if they hadn't have got in there because she probably would have just kept going um so they got help and Anne-Marie survived and she was very lucky to survive but probably like fucking terrified for the rest of her life as well in the lungs as well she stabbed her in the chest do you think she might have been trying for the heart like trying to kill her yeah I expect so so Sharon's taken away by police obviously and sent to an assessment centre do you think if I smacked a child who I knew had just stabbed someone that I would still be allowed to teach I think... I'm like, this is my chance! Bam! <laughs> like, I'm never going to get this opportunity again to, like, yeah. really... I it'd probably get overlooked in the moment, wouldn't it? <laughs> anyway. Just one to fantasise about <laughs> later. Scenarios where it's okay to hit children. <laughs> it came out a lot worse than I intended it to, Sorry. I'll be honest. Um, so, while at this assessment centre that she was sent to, she attempted to strangle two members of staff. And uh, oh my God. Like more, she's 12 years old. I'd definitely be able to smack her well, while she was trying to strangle me. Yeah, oh yeah. 14. Um, so she was found guilty of two acts of grievous bodily harm and of attacking Anne-Marie. And so she was sent to Bullwood Hall Young Offenders Institution. Now, when she's at Bullwood Hall, she just can't keep her mouth shut. And she's talking to friends and family, all the prisoners about how she's killed Katie and basically bragging about it. She's pretty pleased with herself. So workers obviously overhear this, they inform police, police come and they interview Sharon and she pretty quickly tells them, yeah, I've murdered her 
Um, and she, uh, although there's no evidence, she talks about a bracelet that she took and they know that a bracelet was taken and that was never released in the press. So pretty strong evidence that she was involved in that murder. I can't get my head around her motivation. I know. Like she just on self-destruct, like she really has, doesn't care about anything. Well, she did the animal murders. I think she just wants to kill at this point. Um, so police also found her diaries which contained the bragging about killing Katie and they questioned her for 27 hours not straight but over the course of the next few days she gave three different accounts of how Katie had been killed and in two of them in all three she'd stabbed Katie in each story but in two she described her being with two boys as well and she named them and she said that they'd had sex with Katie also during the crime Um, then they went to I didn't really understand this. They went to question the boys and they said they were later eliminated because they provided alibis for each other. Oh. And I was like, mm, I don't think that counts, does it? I wouldn't have thought so. I think they're just not that bothered at that stage. Yeah, that'll do. Well, she's admitting to it, so bye. Yeah. So despite having been interviewed about the murder, Sharon still continued to write in her diaries stuff about not feeling guilty and bragging about these murders. But once she's charged with murder, she changes her mind. And so while in custody, she retracts her statement and her confession. And she says she hasn't killed anyone and that it was all nonsense. Probably advised by the lawyers because the lawyers have probably said, look, we might be able to get away with this if you say you weren't there and that you're too small and, you know, you weren't strong enough to do it. Yeah, because if the only evidence is probably, apart from her confession, the only evidence is probably her diary, isn't it? Because her stories haven't been consistent so they can't say she exactly knows how it happened and mm, exactly what else was there nothing the fact that she had this bracelet but she, she couldn't have driven could have been so else. yeah the bracelet she just said about but that could have been someone else she saw take it uh, even if she was there so the trial took place at winchester crown court and she, when she went to trial she wore like a white polo neck and a gold crucifix and she basically looked like she was going to like a sermon or to give a sermon which was sort of weird um and she showed no empathy no remorse and the jury was shown the diaries um which <laughs> my friend's on jury service at the moment and it sounds amazing and she keeps saying you would love it <laughs> and she said that after they after they're asked like if they're after they decided they're fit to be in the jury and things like that, they also have to go and look at the defendant and just say if they know them or not. So they literally just have to walk over and stare in their face and go, yes or no. <laughs> she said it's so awkward. You've done jury duty, haven't you? Did you yeah. do that? Yeah. They just brought him in and we had to have a little PR and then go. And she no, said one of them know. was scowling and it was really awkward. But then one of them was doing like an angelic smile. <laughs> it is really, you do feel so on the spot because like there's the defendant who's like looking at you. And then when on the one I was at, there's like a in the public gallery, there was like the family of the victim and the family of the defendant who are all staring at you, trying to catch your eye and like oh God. get you. Like if something was said, they'd immediately look at the jury and be like, I was like, oh my God. Oh shit. It was intense. So it's kind of like being on stage. Yeah, and I would like, oh, I don't know. Mm. Some of it's boring. Some of it's boring. <laughs> yeah. Not all of it. Um, so the jury found Sharon guilty unanimously and Katie's parents cried upon hearing the verdict because obviously they were relieved that she'd been found responsible and she was going to uh, pay for those crimes. So she was given 14 years 
Um, but the judge recommended when he gave her this that she be t- detained indefinitely because she's dangerous. I didn't think they could do that. They could just be like 14 or whatever you want, <laughs> effectively. So she did. Unless they wanted to send her to like a psychiatric place. I guess that's the thinking. So, but then you'd think she'd go then. from the beginning though, wouldn't you then? Like I thought it was one or the other, but obviously, yeah. I don't know. Um, so I'll set that as homework. <laughs> Find out about sentencing. Uh, so following the sentence, um, it was reduced to 12 years. But then during her time in prison, she attacked some other prisoners and members of staff. So she was moved between prisons a lot because of associations with other people. And then eventually they just said, right, just send her to Broadmoor because she's just a nightmare. So in 2001, um, so she's still in Broadmoor. She's been there for uh, a long time and she's not been released when the end of her sentence came. But in 2001, she met male prisoner Robbie Lane. Now, they met when, I guess they just let them all out together. It was a recreation period. They just say have at it off you go like enjoy yourselves so um they first met i don't know like in the yard or whatever it is and then after that they began to have supervised visits with each other where they would kiss and cuddle i read about this in in like an article and they planned to to marry and they actually organized a wedding uh, for the prison chapel uh it's supposed to be a 20 minute ceremony and they would but they wouldn't be allowed to consummate the marriage but they called it off because they both found out what the other had done to get into prison and uh robbie lane had battered his mother to death and gouged out her eyes when he was 17 and uh obviously sharon carr had murdered katie and attacked this other girl and they both kind of said yeah they're too they're too evil i don't want to get married (laughs) (laughs) which i find really strange but they both had a line and it was the other person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they sent the rings back to Argos. And like genuinely. She still remains in Broadmoor. Um, and she's not being considered for release. So I think we can rest easy. But I thought that I'd never heard of that. And I thought that was quite an intriguing one because it does sort of it does sort of garner sympathy a bit, but then also she's very dangerous and she's so young, so it just it's great for like debates and things. Yeah, it doesn't fit the usual patterns, does it, of killers that we've looked at? Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Okay, so I'm also going to tell you the story of a young serial killer. Bum, bum, bum. Um, I'm going to tell you about Harold Jones. and Harold, and he's young. Jesus. Well, it's in the 1920s. Oh, fair enough. So it was the turn of the century, and we're in the seemingly peaceful Welsh town of Abertillery. Um, so it's in the valleys, and obviously the main source of industry was coal mining. Of course. Um, in 1920, there were about 40,000 people living there, which made it a comparatively large town for Wales. Um, but it was still small enough that there was a strong sense of pride in the community and close-knitness and things like that. So in 1921, just to give you a bit more context, there was a miners' strike. So many people were stretched, many people were struggling. It was hard. And again, those sort of times bring people closer together. A little bit about what was happening. Uh, just, I thought it was kind of interesting. I've seen Billy Elliot. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> this one, um, at this time, the miners had already fought for the national minimum wage during the lead up to World War One and won it. But then after the war, the value of coal began to drop quite um, a lot. So the privately owned mines then were able to just cut the wages. And the miners wanted nationalisation, really, so that they could they weren't wealthy mines and poor mines um so they wanted to have a strike and they thought it would go well because there was this alliance between the miners the railway workers and the dockers but the railway workers and the dockers said actually we're fed up of having to support the miners with their strikes Ooh, that's like teachers and tas yeah because they keep striking all the time so the miners were left on their own and this led to on the 15th of april in 1921 this led to the actual Black Friday, um, where everyone went shopping, where everyone was on strike, but it turned out to be just mine. So it was a really tough time. But mining communities like this were very much in support of each other. Were very much um, like looking out for their neighbours and felt like it's us against the big cities. Um, so this sort of feeling is what enabled this murder to happen and not be suspected. A little bit because they were like the big cities, the private companies, the bosses, they're our enemies and we're in this together. So people weren't suspecting the locals. 
So, Harold Jones, who was a boy of just 15 at the time, was the one who would carry out these crimes and deceive his community. So he was born in 1906, and he was the son of an abitillary miner and one of four siblings. He was the oldest one. So when he left school at around 14, he was determined not to follow in his father's footsteps, and he had ambitions of becoming a boxer. Like, it was quite a glamorous occupation mm. in the 20s. Like, he would always look after himself, um, have make sure his hair looked nice, his clothes looked nice. He was very well presented. Everyone else was, like, dirty as fuck, weren't they? And, like, covered yeah. in coal dust. Pretty much. So people knew him around as being like, oh, he's a clean, lovely boy. Um, and in order to help his struggling family, um, Harold Jones got a job working in a local shop, which was Mortimer's Stores, and it sold animal food. So it's thought that um, he was really well suited to this work. He was pleasant. He was well liked by customers. And they were like, oh, what a cute young boy. Like, he's sweet. And like, it makes you endear to them when they see they're so young, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, so he was also well liked by the Mortimer's daughter, 13-year-old Lena. And so the pair began dating. Do you date at 15 and 13? I know. Like, it's one of those go? ones where people are like, oh, they're both kids. But actually, she's still a child. Yeah. Like when he, yeah. I don't think they did much. I think it was more like little notes hanging around behind the back. I don't think they went out on dates or anything. Yeah. Um. So Like when they're just kids are like, we're going out. Yeah. Like he, they might, they, they're literally just friends. <laughs> yeah. He'll walk me home and stuff like that. Mm. But there was a little bit more to it. So although they weren't like going out for dinner and stuff, um, he wasn't totally depraved, but Harold Jones would ask Lena to do things that she wasn't comfortable with. So there's we know from one letter that Lena had written to Jones and she was apologizing because she'd refused to spit in his mouth. Oh my God. So that's pretty specific for a 15 year old. Yeah. Which I guess you can be like, it's not so weird because like when you're snogging someone, you're basically yeah. spitting in their mouth. But she was like, I'm really sorry. I just didn't want it. He was literally saying, just spit in it. Go on. Like, so I mean, it, I can, it can kind of get away with it with maybe teenage naivety, like yeah. thinking that's a thing. Yeah, it's just a weird request. Mm. Um, so he wasn't going to have his emerging desires satisfied by Lena. She was not about that. Um, or any young girls willingly. So he was going to start taking things into his own hands. Just sucking a spit out himself. Ooh, worse. So on Saturday the 5th of February in 1921, this was the day that Frida Burnell was sent to Mortimer's stores by her father to buy some items. So she was only eight years old, um, but obviously in this quiet town, that sort of errand wouldn't have been thought odd. Like they didn't think there'd be much dangers. And she would have been known to plenty of people. She was been out playing in the street pretty much every day. So, I mean, I went to like the local town centre on my own well just with a friend at like age nine or ten yeah like my dad like when I was like eight nine they'd send me up to the chip shop on a Saturday yeah. fish and chips twice in a bag of scraps <laughs> done I would be so nervous though like I'd have to practice saying it even yeah. though I know now it's the same order every fish and chip twice in a bag of scraps and I'd be so nervous I'm like what if she doesn't know what scraps are what if this what if yeah. this 20 pound <laughs> note isn't enough money <laughs> like, yeah I used to be so, so I, I used to be really scared. But then they'd always be like, oh, it's a child. So I think I asked for small chips and he was like, small is large. And like, would just give me oh. loads more feed because I was a cute child. 
Um, I, I was telling Tom this before about the fish and chip twice in a bag of scraps because I had no idea how big a battered fish was until I went to uni because my dad would always buy, no matter how many people around, like there was seven of us in our family, but no matter how many people, they'd always buy just two and we'd have yeah. to cut them up. When I first had my own, I was like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> this is huge. Um, so this shop was only, it was like, no distance at all away only a couple of minutes walk so Frida's father was expecting her really quickly like I need to feed the animals hurry up um when she got to the shop Harold Jones had sort of proved himself as a trustworthy boy working in the shop so he was downstairs alone I think the Mortimers said that they were upstairs and he was just managing the shop on his own when Frida entered so he said to her that, oh, we're all out of the poultry grit that your father wants, but said that if she would follow him to the store shed around the back, he can get some for her. So the pair went around the corner from the shop to a narrow back street where the store shed was. And Frida had no reason to worry because Harold Jones was a child too. She'd probably seen him about quite often. Mm -hmm. This might not have even been the first time she'd been to the shop. So yeah, of course I'll just come with you and get it. So once they were inside... Jones began to violently sexually assault Frida. So, and what was she, eight, did you say? Yeah, she, he was 15 oh, and she was eight years old. So she began to scream um, so much that Jones took the handle of a nearby pickaxe and used it to repeatedly strike her on the head. Later, some ear witnesses... Is that a thing? Because they weren't <laughs> eyewitnesses, they were ear witnesses. I guess so. Do people say that? No. Oh. Well, there were some ear witnesses, and they would say that they heard screams from the surrounding streets, but because it quickly stopped, they just assumed it was kids playing out, because that was such a common thing. They'd just all be outside. Um, so yeah, the attack wouldn't have lasted long, and once James had been sat oh, sorry, not James. Once Jones had been satisfied, he just closed the shed door and returned to the shop, leaving Frida amongst the sacks of grain to slowly die from her injuries. Oh god, poor girl. And the pathology report suggested that it could have taken as long as four hours for her to die. Oh, my God. Oh, lover. So sad. So, um, like I say, her dad was expecting her quite soon. So she was reported missing really quickly mm. that afternoon. And Frida's father, Fred, even went to Mortimer's stores and spoke with Harold Jones. And Jones said that he'd served Frida in the shop, but hadn't seen any sign of her after she'd left. And then, again, there's no reason for him to suspect anything of this young boy at this time. So police and locals searched the town. They knocked on doors. No one was able to give any information that would lead to finding her. So while the search went into the night, Jones then went to dispose of the body. He wrapped her in one of the sacks and just dumped it in a lane nearby. So couldn't be bothered to get far um he knew that no i think he knew no well, one's gonna think it's me well, everyone's no got dna well, exactly so it, he doesn't care if they find it later yeah. but then this is he's already obviously he's sick because he attacked this girl he's such a young girl a sexual act as well at only 15 um but then he sort of takes it a little bit further in his twisted thing and that he goes directly to the Burnell home and speaks to Frida's parents and asking if she's been found yet. So, I mean, you could say that he was like trying to act the part of an innocent person, like this is what an innocent person would do. But I think like 
because it's so sadistic to other things he'd done, like he was probably getting pleasure, like going over and seeing the distress of the situation that he's caused. I mean, that's the thing yeah. that sometimes sadistic like killers do, don't they? Returning to the scene of the crime type thing, isn't it? Or watching watching from afar or wanting yeah. like people who've like wasn't there were a guy that we did a while ago who would start a fire and then you'd stand on the street and watch yeah, it with exactly. the crowd. So they can see what they've created yeah. a little bit. So the next morning, Frida's body was found by a man on his way to work who initially mistook it for a bundle of rags. And the general feeling of the Abatillero community was one of devastation um, and also that such a horrific crime must have come from an outsider. They were just convinced that this is another person come here. So all their fights in this town were from outside powers and they just thought it was impossible that a child murderer and such a disgusting child murderer could have come from there. So on the day of Frida's funeral, just to demonstrate that further, the whole of the Abertillery paid their respects. They closed shops and they filled the streets with mourners. This was a big deal for them. So then on the same day as the funeral... Someone spoke to the police and informed them of the fact that Mortimer's stores had this storage shed on the next street and perhaps they could search it. So until this point, it had been unknown. They didn't even know it was there. And now when they went in, they found this axe handle murder weapon and a handkerchief that had belonged to Frida. Whoa. So finally, Harold Jones was a suspect. Mm. And on March 7th, 1921, he was arrested for murder. So Jones just denied everything and he had huge support from locals who just simply didn't believe that this nice, clean boy that they all knew. <laughs> but it's like all about being clean. Yeah. Well, he's clean. He's... Well, I'm just saying that. <laughs> he's but so clean. They couldn't believe that he would be capable of rape and murder of an eight-year-old. It just seemed... I mean... It's like with my story, though. Like, you just wouldn't think, would you? You're yeah. Just like, he's a young lad. Yeah. Even so if he's always seemed nice. Yeah. Even if they're a horrible kid, you think, this isn't a child, you think, grown, yeah. grown man, grown people. Um, but yeah so he seemed nice he wasn't even as bad as Sharon with being threatening and stuff so nobody believed it and you can see why they're not dumb for that Um, and at the trial they had loads of character witnesses testifying to Howard Jones's good nature Um, and there was also evidence given by Mr Herbert Mortimer the owner of the shop who said that he'd been upstairs while Harold was working down and he could hear him in the shop working at the time the murder was said to have taken place Um, so obviously they didn't yeah but I don't know maybe they they could have been trying to protect the reputation of their shop like Mm. who's going to want a shop there when you know that a this terrific thing that shook the community happened in your storage shed or maybe the fact that their daughter was dating him they thought well how's this going to look for her will she ever be able to get another partner if she's dated this child rapist or they might just genuinely believe that they heard Mm. him downstairs like they couldn't have known the exact time convinced himself so whatever the motivation for this evidence this was pretty much the final thing that cast doubt into the minds of the jury and they found him not guilty so on the 23rd of june jones returned home to a warm welcome and celebrations people lined the streets he was carried on shoulders he was even presented with a gold watch that people had chipped in for i mean that's kind of weird when he's been in trial for murder i know it's but no one believed it of him ever and they were just like you've acted this way against one of our own and he wasn't like fuck you he wasn't yeah. He's a kid. Like, if one of your pupils was accused and then 
acquitted, found not guilty. I like, like chuck him on my shoulders. Yeah. Well, they did. Overkill. Because um, like a girl's still dead. I think it's just a little mm. bit crass. Oh, to even have any kind of celebration. Or to be like, hey. I don't know. It just That's seems true. A bit strange. Um, so then we go to Florence Little. She lived just a few doors down from Harold Jones. She was 11 years old when Jones returned from the trial. And she was not only a bit unconvinced of his innocence, she was brave enough to confront him and tell him so herself. So witnesses said that on a number of occasions, she'd like point at him and say, I know you killed Frida. Oh, fuck. I think a lot of people thought she was sort of teasing him. It's not sure whether she definitely believed that he'd done it. I think it was a bit more like, you killed her, like just trying to be a bitch. Yeah. Not a bitch, I mean, sorry. Like flirty? Could be flirty. It could just be joking like, you know, children do say things like that. Mm. If it's And it's such a huge thing. Everyone knew about it. It wouldn't have been forgotten quickly. Yeah. But, so whether it was that she thought that he had or whatever, but she would say this to him often. Um... So Jones was pissed off by this, but he wasn't deterred by his brush with the law. If anything, it sort of excited him and made him more eager to strike again. So on the 8th of July, less than three weeks after his acquittal, Jones saw Florence playing hopscotch in the street and persuaded her to come into his house. So, despite it must have been teasing, I think, because despite her teasing of him, she willingly went into his kitchen. Um, And here, Jones had to act quickly. He forced her head over the sink and slit her throat. This time, the murder had been planned, so he washed all the blood down the drain and then tied a rope around her so that he could drag her body into the attic of his parents' house. Oh, my God. I mean, he must have literally been thinking about this since he did the other one. Yeah. Um, Florence's disappearance was, again, really quickly noticed. And her mother was knocking on doors in the street and quite soon went to Harold Jones's house. And Jones would later brag, um, as when he was older, that he spoke to Florence's mother with his hands behind his back still dripping with blood. Oh, God. Again, instead of saying, having nothing to do with it, he said, yeah, Florence was here, oh, but she Surely left. he's got to go down for this now then, because once, you know, yeah, maybe, but... So, the police began a search, and Harold Jones himself went out on the search for several hours, just to... Uh, act the part um some police however were not looking for florence but were watching harold jones they were it's just too close to home too soon after so where they might not have believed him was guilty before now it was a bit too convenient so they waited for him to leave and then went in to search his house um they saw, like, the walls were really, really filthy, like, grimy. I mean, it's 1920s, tenement housing. Um, They were just gross. And then in one particular spot, so where the attic trap door was, yeah, super clean. So he'd obviously lifted Florence's body into it and wiped off any blood around the edge. So it stuck out like a glowing white patch. So Florence's body was recovered that same night. 
So still out and about searching, Harold Jones was approached by his dad who said, look, they found Florence's body in our house. They're either going to be saying it was me or you. And I'm definitely not like involved in this. So we're going to the police right now. Shit. Um, And he handed him in. So the town, however, still supported Harold. What? And around 500 people went to protest his arrest at the station. No way, because I thought everyone would be like, shit, I can't believe I was a character witness. How fucking stupid was I? No. Loads of people believed that Florence's murder must be a setup because of the they murder. want to get oh, him for Frieda's murder. They really like this boy. He must have been really fucking clean. Yeah, because I think the thing is that people didn't actually know him. He was just someone that they saw about. Like, they weren't close mm. relationships. It was literally that, surely not. Yeah. Um. So initially, he said he was innocent. But his 16th birthday was coming up quick. And he realized that if he was tried as an adult, then he would definitely get the death penalty. So, because the evidence, it was in a... The body was in his fucking house, so he was going down for it. So he decided that he had to speed up the process and he would plead guilty. So on November... Couldn't they just be like, spend six months going, what's that? I can't hear you. (laughs) So on November 1st, 1921, so this is all in the space of one year. It has moved fast. He went to trial during which he admitted to murdering Florence Little and he admitted to murdering Frida Burnell. Well, he didn't really have to do, but he did. Yeah. So he was sentenced to life imprisonment and he served 20 years. And then he was released. Um, so upon his release, it's thought that he may have been involved in several unsolved murders in London. Whoa. But that's a story for another time. Shit, because he would have only been like 37, 38. Yup. Fuck. And he loves to murder. <laughs> oh my God. All right, well, thank you for listening. And if you would like to support us, please uh, follow us on Twitter at Sort of the Pod. Follow us on Facebook. Just type S apostrophe laughter and it should come up. You can join the group. You can buy t-shirts on Spreadshirt or Threadless. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Slaughter the Podcast. You can email us at slaughterthepodcast at gmail.com. Anything else? You can go on Instagram, Lucy Emma Slaughter. Yeah. And yeah, all of the above. Yeah. Just uh, send us cash. <laughs> Thanks for listening, folks. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.